Hello, 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 and welcome to the newest episode of the Blues on Parade podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Uh, once again, you guys hear me on the intro. Zach is slacking. This is the, I think this is four episodes in a row where it's been either me um, and Zach or me and Andreas. I'm the only consistent one here on the show, it seems like. Um, but Zach is moving. He just moved five minute, a five minute walk from me actually. So that's exciting news. Um, but yeah, so he's, uh, <laughs> pretty busy moving, but I'm thankfully joined here with Andreas. Um, Andreas, how are you doing today? Are you enjoying your I'm long great. Labor Day weekend? Yeah. I mean, it was great. I finally got to do nothing. I was home most of the time, which I haven't gotten to do in a long time. Got to watch Game of Thrones or House of the Dragon. I got to watch Lord of the Rings, the Formula One race, the Chelsea match. I mean, a little bit of R and R. But Tom, I appreciate you having Zach's back and all. But we both know that he was back in Vegas because he uh, is a degenerate uh, with a gambling addiction. And honestly, guys, send a <laughs> message to Zach. He needs help. This, no, we support, we support. He survived snakes months ago, but gambling oh, is a real addiction. <laughs> Again with the snakes, huh? No, I, I, I'm, I'm in full support of his gambling addiction. Honestly, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's nice to see someone who still gambles. I quit long ago. Like just too many losses. Um, all right. So since our last episode, a lot has happened. We'll start off with our yeah. A lot has happened. We'll start off with basically a, a wrap up of our whole summer window since the transfer deadline was this past weekend or past week. And Andreas cleverly has uh, named this segment "Holy Bully Guacamole." Perhaps That's a right. recurring segment. Perhaps a recurring segment we where we can um, give updates on the business decisions and team decisions of Todd Bowley, um, new owner of Chelsea Football Club. So I'll end the rest of Clear Lake Capital. Let's let's not forget them. Yeah, the consortium, um, the Bowley consortium. So we'll start off with the office staff clearance. And this is going back from the beginning of the window or basically the beginning of the takeover. So Marina, Peter Check, both out early on. We just got news um, shortly after the transfer window ended that Scott McClacklin, McClacklin, I think that's how you pronounce it. I've never learned how to say his name. McClacklin, I think it is, um, our scouting director. Um, he was let go after being on, um, gar- I think they call it gardening leave. That's that's a that's something that's like particular to England. We don't have an equivalent, I don't think, here in America. <laughs> But I've heard that term several times before. Like three months gardening leave. Yeah. Wow, this Um, dude's really passionate about his yard. He's got the green thumb. He's got the green thumb. Uh, Took three months off to build a new garden. So I think that's probably why we let him go. Um, 
So obviously, a lot of holes that need to be filled in um, in the front office. Um, so as far as the transfers go, we'll go over the transfers out so far, uh, or first. Lukaku uh, out on loan for a 70 mil- 7 million pound loan fee. Timo Werner out, 25 million. Um, Emerson, 15 million. Malang Sar uh, out on loan, 900,000 uh, pound tran- uh, loan fee. Billy Gilmore, sadly, at transfer day, 9 million. Marcus Alonso, part of the Aubameyang deal. So the the value is really kind of unknown. Maybe it's ten million. Maybe it's nine. The saddest news of all, my <laughs> beloved Ross Barkley. He's out. His contract got terminated. I think this is like the first time that we've terminated a contract in God's no God knows how long. Um, Ethan Ampadu out uh, on loan and. Kennedy, an unknown transfer? Oh, the fee. The fee was unknown. Fee. Yeah, he's um, off to Valladolid in Spain. Yeah. Um, and then, um, actually, before we get in, uh, starts talking about the transfers in, um, did you want to say anything about any of these um, transfers out players? I mean, overall, I think that us from the States, and you particularly being a Dodgers fan, you knew that Bowley was going to do a big team clear out. That's exactly what he did at the Dodgers, where it was, okay, whoever's not part of the equation needs to be out, whether that's at a loss or you know, faster than the old regime would pull the trigger on. I think that Marina and Peter Check exit goes hand in hand with some of these, like letting them go because apparently they both are trying to make Lukaku stay against the wishes of the manager. And on top of that, we'll get into the transfers in, but Arena in particular was very conservative in her approach of who she was willing to put out bids and have conversations with. Uh, Specifically, it came out that Fofana would have never happened had they stayed because they just didn't seem to think that he was an attainable target this summer. So I want to give major props to the new ownership for the outgoings because number one, it takes a, takes a big man to make, you know, to kind of fess up for his mistakes, whether it was his or the previous regimes. Um, and so to, to be able to get Lukaku Werner, Along Sar, who, you know, not many people rated. Emerson, who was constantly on loan. Alonzo, who, while he had his amazing moments, was, in a way, one of the players that kind of inhibits the Chelsea project moving forward. Arkley, who played two minutes last be season. Be careful, be careful, be careful. He played two say. minutes last season, that's all I'm saying. Okay, that's a fact, okay, that's fair. Yeah, and then, you know, letting Ampadu go on loan and finally getting Kennedy off the books. I mean, I think I forgot one, actually. Mishibachuai was able to complete a move to, right. I believe, back to Turkey on a permanent mm-hmm. basis. So yet yeah. another player who we kept loaning and extending, loaning and extending. And if I'm not mistaken, 
plan for Bakayoko as well is to terminate his contract should nobody come get him. So you're finally clearing the wage bill and you are allowing yourself to make the kind of moves that we ended up making in the summer. So in terms of outs, it's a 10-10. You know, you didn't mention one player, Billy Gilmore. Oh, Okay. I, I think that was yeah, that was the probably the the most questionable move. Um only you know, I, I'm not gonna sit around and cry because we don't have uh Billy Gilmore anymore and mm-hmm. uh, like I'm not going to cry about oh my god, only nine million, like what are they thinking? I think the bigger issue is we scrambled so hard to get a CM um, this the, this transfer window. You you saw names pop up on the last day. And <laughs> yeah. we had Billy Gilmore on the bench against Southampton. And um, Thomas Tuchel was talking and saying, yeah, like I don't have any more center mids. What am I supposed to do with Billy Gilmore right. sitting on the bench? So that was really frustrating for me in that in that respect. Like, I mean, I, I want. I'd rather have you speak more on it, on like just him not getting a chance, you know. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I have, I have had a weird epiphany on why the Billy Gilmore transfer happened, but I'll save that for a little bit. I will say, the way Thomas Tuchel handled having Billy Gilmore and before the transfer deadline. Refusing to use him all together. It started in the preseason when he was booted to the under-23 squad, uh, being given a chance when we've seen him at Chelsea succeed at the base of a midfield three, um, much like Jorginho, with a little bit more of a forward-thinking approach to passing. Jorginho's not working. Oh, I don't have another pro- player at that profile. Bullshit. Billy Gilmore was there. Um, then... The fact that, you know, even someone like Jurgen Klopp, I think you referenced this last time, admitted his mistakes to the media and then said, you know what, you're right, I do need a center mid. So instead of telling us you don't have one, you as a coach have to exhaust your resources before you go crying to the public or to your bosses of what's going on. Billy Gilmore Norwich loan was a freaking trash can fire. Uh, Favre got fired, and then Billy Gilmore was forced to be more of a 10, 8, 10, than a 6. He is a deep-lying playmaker. He transitions the ball from defense to offense with his passing. And let's be real. You can put Leo Messi in Norwich, and they would have still gotten relegated. So for the fans that might say, like, oh, why I try Billy Gilmore? Why not? It's like, well, nobody else was at the time, doing what Tuchel was asking. And instead of forcing RLC to play the six or Connor Gallagher to play in a pivot, you had a pivot-ready player in Billy Gilmore that never got his true chance. Yeah, and I think, like I said before, I'm not going to sit around complaining about um, how we got rid of him. Because, I mean, he, he has played, he's, he has featured for us at times in the past mm. where he's looked decent, he's looked good, but never really under Thomas Tuchel. And mm. I wanted 
to at least see him play in this role. And we never got that opportunity. I don't know. Like, I really don't understand the reasoning behind it, the logic. It just sounds like, again, stubbornness on Thomas Tuchel's end. But, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for the best of him. I think he's going to be great at, at um, Brighton. Graham Potter, such an amazing manager. He's been doing such a good job there. He's going to get the best out of Billy Gilmore, I think, 100%. if there's any other manager. Yeah, if there's any manager out there that can, it'll be him. Um, so let's get after, into the – oh, go ahead. I was going to say, after we discuss the transfers in, I do have one more thing to say about why I think this move will make sense in the long term. That's like spoilers in a way. Okay. Uh, I will say Spoiler that Todd Bowley was hesitant. He was very hesitant to let go of Billy Gilmore, but ended up deciding to back the manager. He didn't want to sell. Tuchel did, and he decided to trust Tuchel on it came out in the athletic as well okay um transfers in so we've got raheem sterling for 47 and a half million pounds koulibaly for 32 million kukurea for 55 million fofana whopping 70 million um zakaria we got him on loan i don't think we paid a loan fee but uh option to buy i think for 30 million Abamyang, uh, twelve million plus Marcus Alonso, uh, Slonina, um, then for twelve million and loaned him back to, um, to Chicago for the season. Uh, Carney Chukwameka, um, fifteen million. Um, Cassade in um, twelve and a half million. So in total. 256 million pounds we spent on transfers after add-ons. Um, I don't know if this was our biggest it was a record. transfer window. Huh? Yeah. Premier League record. It was. Wait, what do you mean? This was a Premier League record? Yeah. United I mean, didn't spend more than us? They spent more per player. <laughs> That's surprising. But, yeah. but I guess we, since we bought a lot, but... It's a little surprising. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I think we more or less addressed every um, issue that we had, every missing piece that we had this summer. Obviously, the center backs, we probably improved that on that. The striker position, Aubameyang is still a question mark for me. It could either be an amazing transfer or it could completely blow up on us. Um, and defensive mid, Zakaria, I think he could play that role pretty well. We'll talk a little bit more about him um, in a little bit. And I think the only real position that of need that we didn't address was a backup right wing back. But... It looks like RLC has become that, so it wasn't really too big of an issue for us to to go after him. And we also have, you know, Dave still can slot in, so we have cover now there. Um, so yeah, let's we'll talk a little bit more, Andreas, about uh, anyone in particular that you want to discuss your um, regarding, yeah, the, the players we bought. I think one thing that stands out for me in this window is that. 
most of the players that were signed that are for the now, um, so like barring Slonina, Chomeka, and Cassidy, are tactically flexible players. Sterling can play in a two-man front next to a striker, or he can play at either wing. Labali has shown that he can do a decent job in a back three, and he for sure can do a great job in a back four. Kukurea can do a left wing back, left back, left center back. He provides multiple options for cover. Uh, Ofana can also play back three, back four. He's done both at, at Leicester. And then Aubameyang, he can be in as a sole striker. He can be in a two. He can actually even be deployed as a front three player in the wide positions. And you've got Zakaria who has done the job at, at in a midfield two and even as the lone man in a midfield three. So flexibility and and the ability to to plug multiple holes with one body um that i think is sort of the theme here as well as the fact that these are players who are high energy for the most part albamying he kind of picks and chooses but you hope that tuchel can reignite that relationship for our benefit so to me it's it's players that are ready for the now that fit sort of what Thomas Tuchel has been wanting out of his team. Yeah, and a lot of players for the future too. Um, I mean, Slonina, he looks to be the keeper of the future. Um, I mean, obviously, Fofana is going to be here for a long time. Um, Chukwameka and Cassade. I mean, Cassade scored his uh, first goal for uh, the development team last week a lampard s goal if i might say um <laughs> and uh you know carney has had that that hype already behind him p- coming from the premier league so uh i think overall and we did get a, a twitter question um actually before we talk about that extensions um just to add that Armando brogia got a six-year extension Reese James just today um, got a six-year plus one um, extension, and Mason Mount currently working on his extension. Thomas Tuchel has not got his extension. That was discussed a lot in the last couple of weeks, and I totally agree with that decision right now. (laughs) But, um, yeah, we did get a Twitter question from Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme. He said, after everything, what grade do you give this window? Andreas, I'll start with you. To the owners, I give them a 10. I think these guys came in and were late. They had a huge hole to dig themselves out of with that, with the last regime, which this article actually came out the last like 48 hours how much of a hole the last regime put them under with the Christensen deal. And then specifically with Rudiger, uh, his sort of middleman came out and basically just bashed on Marina and Roman saying that Rudiger was more than willing to stay and that Chelsea lowballed them so hard that they finally left. Um, on top of that sort of contracts and extension pro- like that they left them with in the long contracts for Mishi, the long contracts for all these guys that don't have an impact on this team just to sort of maintain value. 
um, alongside the fact that they weren't prioritizing how you can get the youth into the first team. And they were able to essentially clear most of those issues and on top of that get good targets in a short period of time because we didn't really do much business until July, uh, mid-July, mind you, to get these players in. So the owners, I give them a 10 out of 10. Uh, Thomas Tuchel, who has been here and has had the chance to look at the team, I give him closer to a 6 out of 10 because I find it hard to believe that manager who's now here on his starting his third full season he's two and a half years in so far he didn't see issues in this midfield and Kovacic has only played about 60 percent of starting minutes possible in a league Conte the last two years 56 percent of minutes in a league I can't think of a season that RLC played a full year healthy and he keeps saying that the the midfield that you know he's trying to do this and he's trying to do changes but then he doesn't get the right profile of midfield in and then on deadline day we are linked to every dm out there that has been available since day one yeah so for me fully knowing that you're the manager and that the new owners are coming to you first i think google just kind of botched it because um the midfield definitely still needs work and and it shows by the fact that we're going to go back in for Edson Alvarez in January. So Zakaria, we we're crossing our fingers and we'll talk about him a little bit more later. We're crossing our fingers that he'll work out, but even then we're still targeting a second DM on top of that. So you know, for yeah. for a manager that wanted it, he got the backing and I just don't think he did enough on his end. Not that he's supposed to be a director of football, but he didn't analyze his squad as well as he should have to start the window. Yeah, I mean, it's every manager's dream to have that kind of control over a transfer window. And he got really lucky with the timing. Um, and even with all that, he failed to, to address that one issue. I think the Zakaria loan is going to help us, help, help us out tremendously this year. Juventus did not use him right. He has he's looked pedestrian since his move over there um, last season. At, you know, as, as a, I watched a lot of Borussia Mönchengladbach in the past couple of years. They're like, quote-unquote, my German team because <laughs> I have family out there that like them. And they... I mean, he was, I think, uh, he was a brute. And I I saw a lot of people on Twitter saying that, oh, he's not really a defensive mid. He's more of like a center mid, more of an eight. And I completely disagree. I think that he can play in center mid. And having him alongside pretty much any of our other center mids in a double pivot uh, helps helps us out tremendously because he can play that defensive coverage. But what I'm really excited about is his 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 addition really improves our chances of playing four in the back and him playing as like a sole CDM role with two guys in front of him. I'm really excited about that. I think that 
just that one addition alone provides so much versatility. Whether whether Thomas Tuchel actually takes advantage of that and does change the formation up a little bit, that's still a question that's left to be answered. And to be honest, I don't I don't have much confidence that he will utilize it as much as he should. But I still think that even in a two-man midfield, he will greatly improve um, a lot of the flaws and a lot of the, basically, what we lost when N'Golo Kante went down and when we probably end up moving on from him this, uh, this upcoming summer. He probably goes to PSG. Yeah. And I, I want to add, I mean, Juventus recently has sort of a track record for sort of stifling talent or misusing talent. Um, I mean, what, three years ago, you were we, I say, as a, the general fan base, laughing at City for paying $70 million for Joao Cancelo. And now Joao Cancelo is the best fullback in the world. And you've got American fans... Uh, Weston McKinney started his time at Juventus playing outside mid, which is just as ridiculous as Pulisic playing wing back. Uh, yeah, he played he played winger this weekend too. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So again, still forcing him into a weird position. You got the fact that DiBala was called like a, a a miss like a no longer a big talent, and he's killing it now for Mourinho at Roma. Mm-hmm. I mean. I, can't think of the top. Uh, who's the other one I'm thinking of? There's another. Oh, Kulusevsky was right. another one that, like, they were so easily to let go, and he's killing it in a much more physical league under Conte again at, at Tottenham. So there's just something about that club. And, and sure, he was like, he had COVID for a while during their six months, but he just misprofiled Zakaria big time. And I'm hoping that Thomas Tuchel's. Bundesliga time and his familiarity with what he was doing in Motion Gladbach is what he's uh, sort of banking on. And I actually think that that sort of previous history is what allowed us to beat Liverpool for Zakaria because that's what came out. Liverpool wanted Zakaria too. I think they were going to play him as an eight and we're looking to play him more as a DM. I think that's might have been what uh, sort of turned the tables to our advantage. Uh, the one thing that you mentioned Conte, and sure, he can do the Conte role in a midfield too. We've seen that Conte is himself is more of an eight, and he likes the freedom of going forward and pressing. Azakaria is a little bit more uh, disciplined in his positioning as a DM. So moving to a midfield three, talk about how he can open up things. Well, just on paper, we have so many eights. Kovacic, Mount, Gallagher, RLC, and if we think that these guys are ready, Chukomeka and Cassidy are both aides as well. Um, on top of that, maybe if we do play with three in the midfield and we start linking wins, our attack can get a little bit more confident and take a little more risk because I know for a fact our attack isn't this bad. I also know that they're afraid of losing the ball, which leads to them not going for 1v1s, not trying the through ball. Because if they don't make that move happen, they look back and they see Jorginho running slower than my grandma rolls on a wheelchair. So 
if you have someone big and imposing and, and fast, like, um, excuse me, like uh, Zakaria, who Zakaria. is there at all times to protect the back line, maybe then we can take those risks and see our attack flourish again. It's It's obviously a domino effect, but it's a start. You don't need... It's not just like a Declan Rice is the only solution for this problem. It's just slowly getting the trust and, and knowing that as an attacker, you are allowed to mess up will go a long way if the DM is truly there to, to clean house and transition. All right. I think we could wrap up the uh, holy bully guacamole segment. Um, <laughs> and we can move on to the 2-1 victory against West Ham. Before we do... Just quickly, I want to give a shout-out. Francis Tiafo. I'm a big tennis fan. He just beat Rafael Nadal in the U.S. Open. Shout-out to him. Shout-out to USA. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't, know, I don't know if you saw my re- reaction while you were talking. I was just looking up, like, shocked that he actually won. But shout-out to him. Um, all right. Looks like we deployed a 3-5-2 again. Um, so Mendy and goal. Fofana, Thiago Silva, Koulibaly in the back line. Reese James and Kukurea as our wingbacks. And then the three men in the midfield were Gallagher, RLC, and Kovacic. And front two strikers of uh, Raheem Sterling and Christian Pulisic. I mean, it's how, how great is it that finally we get a Pulisic sighting uh, and He's played out of position. That's just, <laughs> it's that is the story of his his uh, time at Chelsea, unfortunately. But no Kai, no Mason Mount, no Jorginho. Those are the three guys. I mean, I, last episode I mentioned those three plus Mendy as the three guys or four yep. guys that need to be rotated out, take a break, and Thomas Tuchel did just that. Um, Listen to the pod. <laughs> if he did, Mendy wouldn't have played. Um, but I think it was warranted, and I think that it was a fair. I mean, listen, it's a long season; they're not going to start every match. I think that it was it was good timing to take them out and uh, have a little bit of rotation, right? I mean, you don't think that like you agree that it's a warranted like decision, right? Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, Mountain Kai, you can't continue the, you can't create a precedent of if you're underperforming, you're going to stay in the 11. Like nobody is above that. And those two needed it because mentally, if you keep playing and you keep playing poorly and you still are, are dropping, you know, zeros in the goal and assist tally when that's what you're supposed to be doing when you're part of that front three. That's that's no good. And then when it comes to Jorginho, we we didn't do a full recap of the Southampton match, but Southampton had a pretty much a blueprint on how to whoop on our midfield. And Jorginho, who was once our most uh, press resistant and and you know high possession numbers and accuracy numbers, looked. Uh, what's your buddy's name? Who's a ultra? I only see his uh, name. Yeah, he he loves this word, but he was shambolic. Shambolic, indeed. Yeah, so you can't. That's the word of the season. Yeah, against arguably one of the most physical midfields in a Suchek Rice pivot. So 
So it's one of those things where I, I was more than happy to see those changes. It's just <laughs> Jorginho's sub comes at a time where if Conte was healthy still, it would have been the easiest quick change to make. Instead, we had RLC playing as a six and Gallagher back in the fold while he's still sort of getting his, his toes in the water how to play with Chelsea. So but the one that was surprising to me is that, you know, Lissick was deployed as a striker when Broya looked like such a bright spot in his cameo versus Southampton. Yeah, that that's the one thing as well. I mean, if if it were up to me, I would have a hundred percent sat Thiago Silva, let him get some rest because he needs it. Played a back four and then played a front three with um, with Pulisic and Sterling on the wing and Broja as the striker. That's what I would have done. Um, but instead we had two wingers playing out of position. It didn't look too great, but um, I mean, especially in the first half. I, I mean, if, if shambolic is the word of the season, snooze fest was the word of the match because that was <laughs> extremely boring for the first half, at least, um, yeah. you know, RLC got an early yellow, I think we had well, you know, there it is. Point two expected goals. We didn't even have a single shot on target. We had eight corners and got nothing out of it. West Ham scored off their third corner. Just to put it in perspective, how shit we've been on on set pieces on both sides of the pitch. Um, we completed one out of fifteen crosses, and you know we. We just did the traditional Tuchel play style of, you know, not taking any risk, passing conservatively. We had a 90% pass accuracy rating. Like, it was just so boring, and we didn't create any good chances. Um, but in that second half, Tuchel, um, he brought Brogia and Mount on for Pulisic and Gallagher um, later in the, the – which was really nice, a, a sub that early in the 60th minute. I think like the earliest he typically makes these subs in the 70th. Um, in the 71st, Kai and Chilwell came on um, for Kovacic and Kukurea. Those two subs ended up being the deciding factor this match. Um, and then Jorginho came on later. But um, Ben Chilwell, baby. The chilly, <laughs> the chill man is back. And I've heard all this talk. From you too, Andreas, and from Zach, saying that Kukurea has displaced Ben Chilwell. It's over. He's washed. I know you didn't. You didn't say he was washed, but I've seen people say that. No, you whoa, didn't whoa. say that part. Yeah, you didn't say that part. But I've heard people say Ben Chilwell's washed. He's done. The injury ruined him. He came on, scored, and assisted both goals. Um. So I think that, you know, Kukurea, I think on the defensive end, might have looked a little bit better. But Ben Chilla going forward, 100%, he's a yeah. better option. Both, both in goal scoring, maybe, maybe not in passing. I'm not sure about that yet. I mean, I think Kukurea is still our leading assist man this season. But... um I don't know. 
it it's it's good. It's a good problem to have competition between the two. Um, but I'm so I'm so happy for him. This is exactly the kind of match he needed. To 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 make it a two for two on the biblical metaphors here. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen in the Bible says, "Iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another." That's are those why. are those their numbers? Twenty seven and seventeen. <laughs> That'd be hilarious if it was. <laughs> but this is what I was saying from the beginning when we signed Kukurea. Like people were like, "Oh, why sign him? You've got Ben Chilwell." Because you can raise each other's levels. This is what happens when there's healthy competition at a position. These guys both want to be on the pitch. Nobody wants to be benched. Chilwell hasn't found his like fitness and form yet. But we're down a goal, and he goes in and makes something happen. I think it just kind of shows you the difference between the two players. I think if we weren't so dedicated to attacking up the right side... Um, maybe Kukurea being a wide player and staying wide and, and letting the front three guys sort of stay ahead of him would uh, work a little bit more. But Chilwell understands that in this system, he has the freedom to make the run. He's the only guy from midfield made a run past the front three. We always talk about the lack of this run. And, and it's usually either Chilwell or Alonso that does this. But he makes a run. From wing back, past the front three, to get the ball from Thiago, which very reminiscent of the goal he scored in the FA Cup final that was incorrectly disallowed. Ruled out, yeah. Gets through, licks the ball with his head, does a 360, finds it again, and taps it underneath the keeper. Like That sort of run that shows that I'm not going to be a facilitator for someone else, but I'm going to create for my own, is, is the difference right now between the two players we're discussing, Chilwell and, and Kukureya. And I think it's it's a trait that's sort of needed right now if we're going to keep playing this 3-4-3. Because we know this team is going to build, and, and I think it was CFC Central that posted that our buildup is a question mark shape. Um, but it sort of is. The ball starts at the back, and it eventually ends with Reese James, and he has to cross it. So if we don't have enough bodies in the box, you need to have someone like Chilwell that is willing to make that run, make something happen, rather than be so concrete about where he's supposed to be on the pitch as the left wing back. So I think mm-hmm. this goal and later the assist he got is huge for his confidence. And, and I only hope that his fitness levels are getting to, uh, to sort of a max output to where he can play and start a match so that you know, we can see more of Chilwell from the beginning. Yeah, I, I mean, I was, I was going to mention his run on the assist because uh, I mean, when it started off, that 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 um, basically the place that led up to it, Broja had the ball on the wing, and the only thing I'm thinking is like, dude, please get in the box. Like, we need someone in there besides Kai Havertz. Like, he's not going to do anything, Kai Havertz. Um, and Chilwell makes an overlapping run. He's off. He runs back on side and makes another uh, overlapping run. And then Broja lays it off to him. He looks up. Perfect ball right on the dime for Kai Havertz, who we'll talk about as well. Actually, we should talk about him right now. Um, Like, that goal probably meant everything for him. Finally getting the monkey off his back. He shushed the crowd. I mean, that was maybe a warranted response. 
Um, I think that <laughs> it, it's not gonna that one goal is not gonna shush us up. I'm still going to uh, you know he's still got a lot to do to prove himself to me at least. Um, but I'm happy. I'm really happy for him. I hope that this is the catalyst that gives him confidence and puts him more into motion of, you know, becoming a goal scorer um, because that, that's really what he needs to do. I know bringing in Aubameyang um, is going to significantly decrease his play time, but, you know, like, I, th- I think that taking him out and bringing him on as a sub, sorry, taking him out of the starting lineup and then bringing him on as, as a sub did a lot to motivate him to, you know, and put his head in the right mindset. And that kind of led to him being able to finish off his chance. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much of, uh, of this or reading too much into this, but w- what did you have? What did you think about that? I think the obviously that does help. I think that these younger guys, our team is a young team. Like when it comes to the, at the end of the day, our starting 11, I mean, outside of what, Tiago, Koulibaly, Kovacic, and Sterling, a young team. So therefore... Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I, th- I think we had a, a young, we had a younger average age than West Ham with including Thiago Silva in there. So that's how young <laughs> right. we are right now. So so for me, I think it is necessary to teach these guys like you're not undroppable and you need to be going 120% the moment you step on the pitch. So I think that plays a factor for sure. I think also the fact that Bro- uh, Broja was playing next to him helped him a lot. And you talk about Broja in that, in that buildup was actually sort of started wide and then ran back in the box. I think Kai needs another threat next to him, like a physical threat to where he can sort of sneak by and, and use his movement off the ball to his advantage. When he's the main guy, he's just not physical enough to be imposing. But he has the ability to, to find those pockets of open space, right? So if you have the defense worried about a bigger direct nine like Broya or even now Obama Yang and Kai can do the silky German stuff and get his goals and assists that way. Or he is the Robin to Armando Broya or Obama Yang's Batman, uh, where he can be the shadow striker, uh, a supporting striker, whatever you want to call it, and not the focal point. You obviously don't want to pay 75 million for a Robin, but he goes from Robin and then eventually becomes what is it? What is his superhero name? Nightwing. <laughs> Getting really deep know. in the in the weeds here, but the point is, if he starts at Robin and graduates to Batman, I'll take it because it's not going to be a night and day thing where he goes from oh I didn't score for five games and suddenly he's a twenty goal scorer. I think he just needs to find himself consistently sort of scoring and, and getting to double digits in terms of Premier League goals for once. So. To start the season, I was hoping he would do something like 15 and 10. If he can give me just 10 goals, I think it's a good start. But I also think that this goal shows me that Kai Havertz is not going to be a lone striker. That is not the profile to get the best out of Kai Havertz. No, absolutely not. Um, all right, we got to talk about the the late, late drama, the VAR call. Um, 
Jared Bowen fouling Mendy. Um, the equalizing goal from uh, I forgot who scored. Was it was a Cornet? And um, VAR taking a look at it, they ruled that Bowen did foul Mendy and impeded him. I don't know, whatever. Um, and they they ruled the goal out. Um, this was this happened in stoppage time. So, yeah. I mean, great. It feels nice. <laughs> For uh, us to be on the the other end of a controversial VAR call, I think that this was a lot less clear cut than like the Tottenham um, Kukurea incident, yeah. where that was so clearly a foul that it was shocking that it wasn't called. This one was like. The, the fact that it was not called on the pitch and then later overturned, I think the standard is still clear and obvious foul. I personally did not think it met that standard. Um, I think no matter – like it, it should have just stayed – sorry, let me rephrase that. No matter what – they called on the pitch, whether he called it a foul or not a foul. I think reviewing it, they should have just kept it to whatever it was because it wasn't clear either way, in my opinion. Um, and I don't know if you disagree with that at all. Like it, it doesn't feel good to win like that, in my opinion. I'm happy that we got the three points, of course, but it doesn't feel good. Oh, okay. I feel great. Because fuck the Premier League referees. Fuck them. <laughs> because here's what happened. In the Tottenham match, silence. The whatever, Zach loves this acronym, the PG Mole, whatever the hell their name is, said nothing. They came out with no statement. But when Chelsea benefits from it, what did they do? Oh, we made a bad call. Should have stood as a goal. Sorry, everyone. My ass. Live with your decision if that's what it's going to be. Because we've known... Amount of mistakes. We can write a freaking research paper. So, no, this feels great. It's about time we get an undeserved call. But it doesn't matter. Uh, here's the, here's, here's my real point. in the past doesn't matter. No, no, but here's my real point. During the match and right after the match, I thought, that's not a foul. Not a chance that's a foul. And then mm-hmm. the beauty of Twitter is that 24 hours later, you see different angles and you can see them at full speed and not like the VAR on the TV um, slow motion. motion. And in the full speed, and you can rewind and watch it over and over and over again, Mendy goes in, he's trying to go for the catch, sees Bruce Uh, Bowen, he pulls back and then gets stepped on. So He parried the ball, Andreas. Oh, no, no, which but, is which is um, which I want to get into more after. Oh, yeah, after yeah, we'll get point. into Mendy's overall play later. At the end of the day, Bruce Bowen stepped on him, and and in the frontal angle where you see Mendy and you see the back of Bruce Bowen, it doesn't look like a foul. But if you see it in the Wait, angle, who's, where... who's Bruce Bowen? Who's Not Bruce Bowen. Bowen? Sorry, Jared Bowen. No, but who's Bruce basketball. Bowen? That name sounds familiar. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, Bruce Jared. Bowen is a basketball player. <laughs> okay, yeah. He was like a specialist for the Spurs, I think. Jared Bowen, excuse me. Specialist in injuries, yes, and fouling. So yeah. that actually is a good comparison. Anyway, Jared Bowen. 
if you see the angle where it's from sort of the right side of West Ham's attack, Owen's studs go into Mendy. You don't see that in the frontal view. Huh? At that point, really? whether yeah, whether whether it was fully on or whether it's just the angle of it, the point remains that a player was hit without even touching the ball. On paper, whether it's the softest call in the book or not, that is a foul. And that's it. That's that's how I see it now. At first, and at the end of the day, or on Mendy overall in that day, and we'll get to him in just a second. No, I don't feel bad for West Ham at all. Because if we want to come play this pointing fingers and when calls should have happened, Mikel Antonio did a full-blown WWE chokehold on Thiago Silva on a yellow card and got nothing. And what happened a minute later? He scored a goal. So, again, if we want to play that game, this game could have ended 2-1 to one with the Cornet goal if you give me the red card on my Mikel Antonio. And, and if we really want to get nitpicky, somebody was pulling Mendy's shirt on the corner kick that led to the goal too. So if we're going to nitpick every single decision when other ones were ignored by the media, ignored on the pitch, like we can play this game all day. I'll have an answer for you for each one. But in this one, I think that it was a soft call, but it was it, this one for once had a correct on paper argument for it. Yeah, okay. I'm looking at the angle you're talking about with the studs. I see that. But I disagree with your analysis that he pulled his arms back when he saw Bowen going in. He fully extended, like his hands, the way that they were shaped, I'm going really deep into this. (laughs) They were flat, they were on top of each other. He was going in to parry the ball away. He was okay. not going in to grab the ball, to, to, to collect the ball. Um, and maybe seeing Jared Bowen out of the corner of his eye running in, like right into him, affected that. But I have a huge problem with Mendy going for the parry. Like that shouldn't have happened in the first place. The first goal also resulted from a terrible punch from Mendy. He he tried clearing the ball out from a corner and it went straight to I think Tyrone Mings. I mean um no not Tyrone Mings. Um I don't know who it was. One of their center backs. And um it was again like it could have been two goals completely leaning uh directly resulting from Mendy making the wrong decision. And I'm so frustrated with him right now, and it's it's just completely backwards from where he was last year. Um, and I've said this before. I think towards the end of last season, we saw signs of this as well, actually. So carrying over from last season, actually. But it's it's time for him to sit down for a match or two. I think... I mean, I think that saying that he faked an injury is not fair because that that hurt. Like, that has to hurt. Bowen charging, running into at full speed and studs up into into your shoulder or wherever it was. I think it was, like, into his side. His um, ribs, yeah. Yeah, that hurts. 
And now Tuchel has um, an excuse to to play him without embarrassing him, saying he's hurt. We have, you know, it's 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 uh, our next match is a Champions League matchup, but against you know D- D- uh, Dynamo Zagreb. That's totally a match where we can see um, Kepa start. And I think that if he plays well, we will also see him start over the weekend against Fulham. Um, yeah. And I think that is it's crucial right now. Right. We need to put pressure on him. He needs to fix that. I mean, the, the problems that we've talked about before were his inability to play with the ball at his feet. When you compound that issue with things like this as well, it's too big of an issue to allow him to continue playing, I think. Yeah, I, I think he has to. I mean, in my opinion, I think he has to be benched for tomorrow's match, for Tuesday's match, depending on when you're listening to this, the Zagreb match. I think that the fact that 50% of our goals have come from set pieces and he's supposed to be the biggest man on the pitch is testament on how bad and how small Mendy is playing. And this is outside of his his uh, bad play with the feet. That's led to one goal so far this season. Could have led to more. But the fact that half of our goals come from set pieces, start with him. If he's going to jump and jump into a huddle of people, that punch better go 30 yards away from the box. Simple as that. If you're going to come in for that, catch the damn ball, and then get trunk, tr- uh, trucked by Jared Bowen. You'll hurt. You're still the big guy in that equation. So I disagree that you've benched him for Fulham because there is a massive man in Mitrovic that plays for Fulham, and I would hate to see Kepa try to go win a, a cross in the air against him. But I do think he needs the Kai treatment. You're not untouchable. You're sitting in the biggest stage, which is the Champions League. Sorry. You're you're sitting. You're not playing well enough. And then come Saturday, you don't let him know till like last second that he's starting again. But I've said this since he came back from AFCON. Something in his head is 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 distracted because people that are trying to say, oh, it's because Peter Check left. Peter Check was here in the spring and he was still playing poorly post AFCON. I think you know, I, I, I'm definitely putting my tinfoil hat here, but he is distracted by the success of the past two years of his life because anytime he plays well, the story of him being at a, you know, unemployed comes back up and his, his rise and the, the, the determination, da, 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 and he's now one of the best in the world. It's like, he hasn't been one of the best in the world in the past nine months. And from January... If Slow Nina somehow starts for the U.S. and he plays well, who knows? There's a reason why Chelsea hasn't extended Mendy's contract yet. And for some reason, I'm not seeing the best when play does out it, of Mendy When does yet. it end? When does contract uh, run out, do you know? Not this end of this season, probably the next season, right? Yeah, I would say that he's probably in the currently two years left, if you count this year, dwindling into mm-hmm. the last year of his contract. I, yeah. We didn't pay seventy million for him. 
He doesn't have as long of a leash as Keppa. All right, then uh, this begs the question. You brought up Slonina as well. This one uh, is a Twitter question from Michael at like Michael nine. He said, "Keep one, bench one, sell one." Mendy, Keppa, Slonina. That's I guess this is the soccer version of Mary Fuck Kill. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, we we're not going to play that game with these three. Um, he said, a little tongue-in-cheek, but Mendy has been awful for months now. If Keppa's giving tactical advice to the game winner, why is he not between the sticks? Mendy isn't stopping shots anyway. I disagree with that last point because Mendy has had some very big saves in the last couple yep. of matches. I don't know if this past match I can remember him having a big save, but in the in the matches before, he did have some some nice stops yeah especially um, in the Leicester match yeah this is a tough one <laughs> so <laughs> here's as it stands so it's, it's start know. bench sell right so like listen i know it's like recency bias but i'll just i'll keep it the way it is you still start mendy because you're not going to throw in an 18 year old immediately into the lion's den you bench slonina so that he can have practice with the first team and he can, you know, continue his growth and whatnot. And you sell Keppa because at the end of the day, Keppa is about to go into the prime of his career, and you don't want a guy just sitting there. Like Keppa is a is now an engaged man. As a, and as a guy that is now married, I understand that my role is now as a provider. And let me tell you, he's not going to be providing much if he rots in a bench because this contract's going to end soon. Keppa needs to get out of here. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I think that if we're talking like long term, yeah. But I don't want to say start Keppa right now. <laughs> I do next match, like if we're not playing this game, yeah, start Keppa. But I don't know. We'll it's it's gonna be something we have to keep our eye on for the, yeah, for the rest of the season. I think you season. treat it I think you treat it the way we treated the Peter Check Tebow Courtois situation, right? You bring them both into camp going into the season, knowing that Slonina has just as fair a chance as dethroning Mendy as Tebow did to dethrone Czech. Like that, that seems fair to me. I think that's how I'm looking into next summer, unless Mendy fixes up. But I think Keppa, regardless, is is the guy that you're still trying to shop around Europe. All right then. Last last question because um, we talked about the other players getting benched. Jorginho is the last one. Um, we got another. Well, we actually know we got a question from Ronnie Ashworth um, at CFC underscore Ronnie. He said, "I don't really ever do this, but I'm done with J five now. For this team to work, we need to move the ball quickly and maybe even tackle sometimes." Agree? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, unfortunately, I think that the decline of Jorginho is more apparent because Kovacic and Conte are both hurt at the same time. And I was going to get to this with the whole Gilmore, selling Gilmore thing, but after the window has closed and what seems to be the goal I th- uh, for what the team wants to do, I think we're going to go into a 4-3-3 that sort of mirrors what Liverpool does and is uh, trying to get the ball up the pitch quickly 
in a more direct way. And I just don't see where Jorginho fits into this equation. Uh, I think that most of our team is built with eights. I think that the signings we've done for the future just sort of doubles down on the fact that we want to play with, with double eights and a six. And Jorginho just doesn't have the physical attributes for it. I talked about the domino effect of the attackers not wanting to be risky because if they lose the ball, Jorginho's the one cleaning up behind them. And uh, Ronnie just said it. You have to tackle sometimes. And if Conte's not there to at least sort of uh, break it apart the first time so that Jorginho can just pick up the loose ball, what is there? what is Jorginho there for? So my... Hope is that we see Jorginho as the guy that comes in to close out a game. The guy that comes in and slows down any sort of momentum from the other team by possessing the ball. Not as option A, starting a kickoff. Obviously, I don't think tomorrow Jorginho doesn't start, and we'll get to that. But I hope that post-World Cup, for example, we've gotten to a point where Jorginho is not a name that you see consistently in the starting 11. Yeah, and it's weird because, I don't know, for me, like, I've been critical of every player this season, and I just haven't seen the, this, like, uh, like what you're talking about with Jorginho. Like, yes, I understand, like, as far as the system goes, Jorginho might not be the perfect fit, but I think overall, this season he's played he plays he's been playing decent like he's been playing all right but i think that we have better options and i think what you're saying is right where he's probably better suited off the bench i mean i forget someone sent a video um it was like a 3 minute video of him basically managing from from the touchline like <laughs> that's why you have him as captain because he sees the he sees the, the game very well, and um, he's really good at giving instruction, and that's something that I think is invaluable to center mid. But yeah, it's there's a lot of there's a, definitely a lot of um, cons as well, and this is stuff that you know it's nothing new. This is stuff that we've we've known for years, and. Uh, yeah, maybe it's just now more apparent because we're sitting. Now we're six before we were ninth in the table. Um, yeah, and you know maybe we should actually still be. Um, we could still have been ninth or tenth if that last goal didn't stand. But anyway, I think I, it's. I, mean, I think I, it's. You, fair. you said he's been decent, but like. In the Tottenham match, he was responsible for the Hoiberg goal because sure. he tried dribbling I, out of the box. In the Southampton I match... Said, but, uh-huh. go, go, go ahead. I was going to say, the Southampton match, there was multiple chances, and, and obviously two. one of the goals was in transition where he literally, they just took a touch around him. There was no, oh, they did double scissors, rainbow flake over Jorginho. No, no, no. They just walked around him. And then yeah. he came on here, and his biggest contribution was that he got a yellow card on a very reckless, late because he's mega slow tackle. So, like, I just think that either the Premier League has evolved into this just 
athletic machine of teams or not having Conte and Kovacic just proves everything that is the limitations of Jorginho. Because again, I, I don't see, we didn't see, first we didn't see the bonehead mistakes on the ball like the Tottenham one ever from Jorginho. If he had the ball, it was staying in possession with a blue shirt. Whether it was backwards, sideways, that's a different argument, but we kept the ball. Now we're just seeing mistakes there and then issues with his lack of physicality, which is just a double double doozy against him. He had another mistake like that against West Ham where he held the ball up. I don't, I don't remember if that was the one that led if if that directly led to the uh goal that was taken back or if that was right before that but um even so after the south after the um Tottenham match I even said in in our episode that I thought besides that boneheaded clearance attempt like the drag back whatever mm-hmm. I thought he had a great match and you know you, you what you just said right now that it's becoming apparent that if Conte or Kovacic are not next to him, then it doesn't work. I thought that was already established. Like, we've seen that already. Um, and that's clear. So, I'm not, I'm not giving up on him yet. I'm really not. Um, so, talking about another center mid, Connor Gallagher. Um, and are, are you trying to name this segment Gugu for Gallagher? Is that what, <laughs> is that what this is? Like Zach is Gugu for Gallagher, so okay. <laughs> um, this this goes into the bet that you two had, where I oh, play yeah. judge and executioner, and I don't think it's his fault because I think everybody in this match was awful in midfield in the first half. But you're still winning the bet so far. I'm leaning Gallagher not great on his debut season for Chelsea, but once I'm again, clearly winning. Yeah, you're clearly winning. But the 4-3-3 with a little bit more direct play and eights flanking a six is coming. So yeah, I'm going to... There may be a turnaround. I, I just think that Gallagher is not still used to a possession-style team, but that's something that adjustments can be made. I don't think it's a um, square peg round hole situation. I think it's just a new system for him. So, I will tell. Yep. Um, uh, speaking of bets, and this is another um, transfer out that we didn't discuss, but on transfer on the transfer deadline, our bet of who will score more goals between Harvey Vale and Mishi Batshuayi died within one hour when Harvey Vale was loaned out to was it Hull? Hull no, City, where yeah. yeah, okay. And I thought, yes, all Mishi has to do is score one goal, and I win my bet. And shortly thereafter, I think what ha- I think the timeline of how this happened was there was an agreement for Mishi to go somewhere else. The Nottingham Forest. That's, he was going to go to Nottingham yeah, Forest. Yeah, Forest. And, we and then something happened with yeah, like the paperwork the paper didn't come work. in time. So so I went from oh this bet is off to oh it's back on, and then I think Mishi got paid out his his contract paid out. He became a free agent, or 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 did you know, we... the Turkish the the other leagues okay. still had like right. a few weeks left to buy him from us? 
Okay, yeah, that, that that's what happened. So that then he went off to I think it was Fenerbahce. I'm not sure where he went actually. The Turkish side. I I, I have no clue. Yeah. He's no um, longer here, which is what killed off our bet for good. Yep. So we that that was a great bet, I think, from both of our ends. Um all right. You're correct. He did end up at Fenerbahce. Yeah. Um now wrap up the episode. Um oh shoot. I'll I'll do the song next episode. Um I gotta sing the Champions League's theme. Um you you do it afterwards we'll do, when when we review it. Yeah, we review it. Exactly. We'll do it next episode. So um Prepare your headphones. Uh, do not turn it too loud at the beginning of next episode because I, I'll be singing. Um, so Dinamo Zagreb of Serbia, right? Are they Croatia. Serbian? Yeah, Croatian. Sorry. Oh, of course, the Croatian flag is in their their logo. Um, so club of right one now, Kovacic. Uh huh. So as of now, Engolo um, Conte. And Thiago Silva uh, have been ruled unavailable in Golo Conte. That was expected. Um, Thiago Silva, I think, is more out of rest. Um, Aubameyang and Zakaria are both available. Um, photos have leaked of Aubameyang with a sick-looking mask. Fan um, of the opera. Oh, yeah. Fan of the opera or MF Doom mask, whichever um, <laughs> whichever school of thought you come from. Yeah, exactly. Um, so chances are we'll see one of them, if not both of them, at least make an appearance. Um, do you expect anything crazy like lineup wise for this match? I mean, like, I, it's, I have it's, something it's cooking not, in my head that in my head yeah. makes too much sense to not try, but then it's Thomas. Like, I, like, I don't think, like, I don't think we need to, like, yes, Zagreb, Dynamo Zagreb is not a very strong side compared to us, but we don't want to fall in the trap of playing a weak team that ends up dropping points. Like every, every point matters. So, so I'm not playing a weak team. It's just Mm -hmm. against the grain, I guess, because Mm -hmm. I just bitched and complained about Jorginho's play, but I think Jorginho starts in this match. So I think we go out there in a four, triple two, Perhaps a four-two-three-one, where you have Koulibaly and Fofana at center back. That's expected. Reese James at right back. Expected. I think Kukurea still, still starts over Chilwell just because Tuchel made a few comments regarding his fitness not being quite there. Um, I think you have a midfield two of Kovacic, Jorginho, and then you have Ziyech on the right. Sterling on the left, and you play Broja ahead of Kai Havertz. So that's a four-two-three-one, four or four-triple-two. If you say that Kai is technically besides Broja, I would want him behind mm-hmm. him. But I think that this side should be able to handle Zagreb with a back four. I think that Ziyech, if he has two big bodies in the box, and then a Sterling making a late run. His balls from the right side would extremely benefit from something like that. And we are dying for creativity. And yeah, I mean, uh, what is it? The George, 
the Jovacic pivot can happen again. So I don't expect Aubameyang mm-hmm. or Zakaria to start, but I do expect both of them to play at least 20 minutes. All right. Score prediction. What do you think? 2-0. I'm going to say 3-0. If Brozier gets a start, we'll see him score. I, and then if, I, if, Kai Havertz, if Kai Havertz starts behind him, he'll also score. Ooh, ooh, okay. I like yeah, both of those. We'll both I, of them. I like them. And I don't know. The third, we'll just we'll give it to... We got to give it to a defender because we can't have all of our goals coming Reece from attacking James. players. Reese James will score. Or Kukurea. Let's give it to Kukurea. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know if Kukurea will score much. This <laughs> I haven't season. seen him shoot yet to the point where I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe off a set piece, um, but if Reese James is there, he's more likely to take it. So we'll see. Um, all right. I think that wraps it up. Good episode, good win. Hopefully uh, we get three points in our first Champions League matchup early in the season for Champions League. But, um, you know, because of this World Cup um, coming up. But um, then we got Fulham uh, coming up over the weekend. So hopefully we'll have time to record one before then. But until then, Salzburg after that. Coming up quick after. All right. And um, yeah, so that's it. Until then, keep the blue flag flying high.